Hey, Mark here. How are you all doing? I know the world is super heavy right now. There's so much going on, so much to mentally process. And honestly, just in this time, I want to offer some virtual love your way wherever you need it most in your life right now. I'm also hoping this episode with Chris Shembra will help. It's grounded heavily on the power of gratitude and love, something I know for me has helped tremendously over the last few months. So, you know, just as the show is called Behind the Human, let's all be human and be there for each other. Much love. Enjoy this conversation. All right. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Chris Shembra, who is a best-selling author of Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection, which chronicles his adventures as one of the most sought-after dinner hosts in the world. Forbes has just ranked his book as the number two book of 2020 to create human connection, and USA Today calls him the gratitude guru. That's cool. I like that one. We're going to touch on that. And I think the best part I want to I want to lead into is a quote I, I picked up from you, and it's, I'm just a little guy with an apron, a fanny pack, and a pasta sauce. Anybody can do it. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, buddy. I mean, so many mutual friends have been on this show, and I've been dying to get on it for years, so I'm glad to finally, finally get the chance to share our good story with your amazing people. Here we are. Um... I definitely want to, we'll get into the book and obviously the work and, you know, I had the great um, fortune and pleasure to join one of your virtual dinners given our our current landscape. (laughs) But before we jump in, I just want to get to know who you are. So who is Chris? You know, how would you define yourself? Oh man, that is a multifaceted, uh, yeah, you know what? I will answer that question by describing the region of Emilia Romagna in Italy. Okay. This will be like a three minute, four minute answer, but it gives good flavor. Perfect. So, right. I've been searching for that question for that answer for my entire life. I don't know through, <laughs> through the, the history of rehab, suicide, depression, jail, living on glaciers, driving boats for a living, everything in between. I don't know who I am still, but if you look at the region of Emilia-Romagna, it is a region in kind of mid to north Italy that's oftentimes forgotten about. It's the largest exporter of food in Italy that nobody ever really talks about. Um, Mm. It's... it's, um, it's home to such towns as Bologna, Modena, Parma, Reggio Emilia. And this region is kind of like the breadbasket of Italy. It is responsible for a mentality that is called the land of slow food and fast cars. And, <laughs> and so here's what I mean by that. In Bologna, you have the invention of tortellini, tagliatelle, bolognese, right? Ragu alla bolognese, mortadella. Uh, in the town next to it, 
uh, Morna. You have the invention of Pavarotti. You have the invention of balsamic vinegar of Morna, right? The, the things that are 25-year age, 61-year age, 120-year aged. You have uh, the town next to it. You have uh, Reggio Emilia, uh, which is uh, Parmigiano Reggiano, right? The, a slow <laughs> cheese that, that, you know, goes over three years, uh, you know, slow time. And town next to it, you have Parma, prosciutto di Parma, right? That's the slow passage of aging meat. So you have these, this slow food region, but at the same time, Modena is the land of Ferrari, Lamborghini, De Tommaso, Ducati, very fast thing. So it's, it's, it's a bipolar, um, you know, land of fast and land of slow. And that's who, that's who I am. And it took me this quarantine to actually accept that. Um, you know, I, I, for so many years have thought, am I this Zen chill, sometimes lazy motherfucker? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Am am I this little short Napoleon syndrome, little hustle guy that will punch a fist through anything I can get into? Yeah. And I've always thought like, what, like what's in between, but now through quarantine, I'm realizing it's a right to be both. I can be yeah. that fast car and that slow food in the same day, <laughs> in the same minute, in the same sentence, um, because that is my art and that is my expression and, and that's my gift. Um, so that's that's who I am. Well, that was a fantastic <laughs> response to that question. It's uh, And I learned a ton in that one. So thanks <laughs> for providing for perspective. So how... Like I can, you know, just hearing how you describe yourself and obviously using using that example without accepting or being okay with those extremes, let's say, I can, I can see how you would struggle to find that happy medium or that, that, that place, right? It, like, has there been any key or any like big unlocks for you other, obviously in quarantine, but like, what was it that, that made you okay yeah. with that? So my greatest childhood insecurity, you know, so, so, you know, I'll, I'll take you back to my youth for a sec. At, at the age of five, I was so hyper and so all over the place uh, that they used to uh, have to put me in rooms, you know, to separate me from the kids. My, some of my earliest memories were being in a, a you know, a two-way or one-way, you know, mirror looking out at the kids being able to play and I'm sitting there in the dark, you know, fiddling with myself. So then, um, you know, a a dear friend of ours, Ned Hallowell, uh, the world's foremost expert on ADHD came out with one of his groundbreaking books about ADHD. And so they said, Oh, maybe this is what he had. So they put the medicine on me and that at least calmed me down, but it ruined my periphery. I I was, Mm -hmm. I lost my creativity, all that kind of stuff. So all this trauma happened from that. Um, but I realized as I grew up, uh, through the bouts of suicide, depression, rehab, jail, all that kind of stuff. What I realized that my greatest insecurity is always feeling like I'm the last one called to the party. Like my invite was always, I don't know, somehow lost in the mail. Mm-hmm. And when 
you know, when, when you're known for knowing people, sometimes you're the last one thought about when you're always putting together people. That's the, that's the, the, the catalyst dilemma, we call it. And that plagued me for my entire life until we found the dinner table. And when we found the dinner table in July of 2015, we, you know, started bringing people together and serving the community and finding the joy through the gratitude and all that kind of stuff that we'll touch on later. But it was 2 a.m. on a Monday in February of 2016. I woke up in my bed, bawling my eyes out, realizing for the first time in my life, huh, maybe this is joy. And I thought back to a line in Johan Hari's TED Talk hmm. about addiction in which he says, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. And that's the single moment I realized, okay, I'm going to be all right. I finally found the thing that at least helps heal my soul. I'm going to be just fine. Love that. Love that. And that, I mean, that obviously leads in well, because I wanted to ask you, you know, how does someone go from Broadway to an obsession with pasta? But that <laughs> definitely that that definitely leads into into this story quite well. Yeah. It, it's um, you know, it's interesting. Everything in my life looked great on paper five years ago. Right? From 2011 to 2015. We are traveling around the world, entertaining audiences of all kinds, putting on some pretty impactful shows, some shows having entertained millions of people, some of our campaigns, uh, you know, entertaining tens of millions of people. And we had, you know, all the right stuff on paper. But in July of 2015, I realized that doesn't exactly correlate with feeling good about yourself. The low point came. In yeah, July of 2015, I had just come back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there. And when I got back to New York, realized this isn't it. I felt four things in that moment. Lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure. And in that darkness, I started thinking about, you know, what about Italy had awakened that in me? What did I love most about Italy that I didn't have here? And it was the food. And so I started fiddling around with, you know, food, experimenting with recipes in my kitchen. And I accidentally created this pasta sauce recipe. And I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. So I started hosting dinners. And every week, 15 to 20 friends would come into our home and we'd feed them the sauce. 6.30 p.m. cocktails would begin. 8 p.m. dinner was served. But at 7.47 p.m., we would put the pasta in the pot and delegate 11 specific tasks to actually get the group to work together to serve each other. That broke down the barriers. It removed the ego. It set the scene for some pretty authentic conversation. And at that very first dinner, we asked a simple question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? And we realized that through all those hours, drinking and eating and working together, we created a safe enough space to use that gratitude question to have people come alive. They told these great stories of 
positive and negative relationships in their life. And Hmm. after that very first dinner, I realized we were onto something. And we haven't stopped ever since. And it's been a wonderful transition. I mean, it's... It's an incredibly powerful question. And as someone that's been on the other side through the the virtual dinners and and having gone through that process virtually and then and answering that question, I mean, it's it's unbelievable how fast you can create, you know, safety and and openness to be able to answer a question like that. How I'm I'm curious, as you know, I'm I'm a massive fan of just great questions in general. Um, How did that come up? Like, why that question? I don't actually know. Um, powerful. Yeah, I, I don't actually know where it came from, but then we experimented with other questions on <laughs> on like subsequent weeks. Some days we would ask, like, what are you excited about in 2020? Or, you know, what's a, you know, what's your biggest fear? Or what's the, your curse word that you hate the most? Or like all these kind of things or love the most or whatever. And, um, and we just kept playing around with it, but then realized we got to get back to that gratitude question because it, it's really, you know, it's not asking, you know, everybody can ask, hey, what are you grateful for? But I feel like that's, yeah. that's you know, anybody has access to that. It's when you ask, what have you never been grateful for? Well, then that brings up these emotions. You know, some people, they might sit in shame or regret not having thanked their third grade teacher or not having thanked their dog or not having thanked their best friend. And we can bring people into that humble, almost shameful mindset. Then you can create transformation because it's only by getting into that mindset that you can create gratitude. Totally. When I think the other thing that just listen to you uh, speak about it, what resonates for me or something that comes up, I guess I should say is a question I was left on the show uh, last year. And it was, you know, what, what am I pretending not to know? And I feel like there's an element in this, that question because it's, I know when I was asked it, you know, yours uh, at the dinner, the emotion that came up was like, we know there's someone in our life, right? That, that we may not be giving proper attention to, or we wish we'd do more. So it, it, like it hits on that little nerve of we're, we're, we're like, it's there, but it's in the back corner, right? And we're just kind of ignoring it. So I think that in combination with just the gratitude aspect of it in general, just makes, it just takes it to a whole other level versus a, you know, what am I grateful for or who am I grateful for in my life type question. Yeah. So why, why write a book about all this? Because that's for anyone that has written a book or, or myself who's in the middle of it. That's a hell of a project. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I'll answer it with three different answers. It'll take me about six minutes to answer it. The first answer is I come from a family of writers. My dad, my great uncle, they collaborated over the last 40 years to produce eight and a half by 11 day planners filled with life learning materials, helping people achieve excellence and gain the competitive edge. It's called the Hilton Head Island Performance Group. We've served four U.S. presidents, dozens of corporations, entire sports leagues, hundreds of thousands of inner city kids in all 28 NFL markets, big partnerships. And I had, I'd always been helping to write the content, but I had never actually Mm. written my own content. So that was a B. I just happened to fall into a peer network in New York city of authors. 
um, you know, whether it be Alan Gannett, Dan Shaw Bell, David Burkus, Dory Clark, Zv Band, Shane Snow, you know, the list goes on and on. And I was I was the only person who hadn't written a book, so I knew it was it was my time. But <laughs> I, we really knew it was time. I think on Saturday, October sixth, two thousand eighteen. To set the scene, we were in, uh, you know, I live in New York City, and we flew all the way out to San, uh, to, to Seattle uh, to go to a wedding of um, the, these two folks, Phoebe and Sean. Sean was, you know, originally from New York. Phoebe was from Seattle, so it was on Phoebe's home turf. And we get out there, and during the reception, Phoebe, the bride's family, would take turns coming up to our New York table to thank us for making the trip. So every time that one of her family would come up to our table, I would stand up and ask my gratitude question. You know, when in doubt, ask the gratitude question. And, <laughs> uh, and so the mother would come up, the father came up, the godfather came up, and each one of them told some pretty amazing stories. You know, the mother, when I asked her the gratitude question, she said, wow, this is, <laughs> this is one of the best questions I've ever heard. I might, I might even use it in my social work. I said, that was pretty neat. But, yeah. but then she said, would you mind taking a walk with me? I said, sure. She brought me over to the cousin's table, looked at the cousins and said, this is Chris, uh, one of Phoebe's friends from New York. He's going to write a book about the question he's about to ask you. And I looked at her and I was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. What? Um, <laughs> pretty decent idea, but what? Uh, and then I, you know, asked the cousins the gratitude question, and they all cried, and they had a good time. A little bit later in the reception, out of the corner of my eyes, I see the bride's father gently grab the wrist of an older gentleman way across the venue, and he starts kind of walking him my general direction. And I, you know, he's just walking over, and he's through the crowd of people over the dance floor, and I realize he's walking literally right to me, and he brings the guy up to me, and he says, Chris, very excitedly, Chris, you got to ask Bill the question. You got to ask Bill the question. Well, that was Bill Gates, his best friend. <laughs> Amazing. And I said, Oi. well, before I had the chance to ask him, he got interrupted by one of his other friends, and they walked away. I said, oh, my God, I blew it. And a little bit later, um, my girlfriend Molly and I are dancing on the dance floor, and Bill and Melinda start dancing with us, just the four of us. We have a good time. He actually has phenomenal rhythm. But we all you know, <laughs> get sweaty. 20 minutes later, we leave the dance floor. They go one way, we go the other. I put my hands in my lap and I say to my girlfriend, I can't believe I missed the opportunity of a lifetime. She said, what do you mean? He's right over there. Go ask him. So well, I, I, I can't do that now. She said, you'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't. Yes, smart girl. So I walked over and I sat down with Bill and Melinda. And then my girlfriend Molly came over. And the four of us just sat there for a long time talking about such intimate topics. And when I got back to New York, I looked back on that experience and I said, God dang it, if this gratitude question can get us, as we've seen in the doors of four-year-old kids of, on Skid Row or freaking Bill Gates, we got to do something about it. So we started studying that question over the course of 2019, interviewing thousands of people about this 
question, including 126 venture-backed founders on why gratitude impacts their business and all that kind of jazz. And then um, in July of 2019, uh, we decided to do something about it. And we partnered with a wonderful, wonderful contributing author of ours, Sarah Stibitz, uh, a mutual introduction by a, a friend, Zvi Band. Uh, hmm. and off to the races we went and, uh, been a lot of bumps ever since, um, big arguments with Amazon, big arguments with <laughs> all these kind of different stuff, but, um, entire book, you know, our book launched on April 7th. So that never happened. Um, so, you know, all the events and the, all the bulk buys and all that shit, uh, went out the door, but it's been a fun experience none the least. What a story. I love it. So how then, you know, a question that just intuitively comes to mind because, and this is selfish on my side because this is what how I think about it. I'm so surrounded by these practices day in and day out, but also like you, human, and, you know, when Amazon screws up your launch and this and that, I mean, there's emotion there, obviously. Is How have you been able to kind of follow what you preach essentially mm -hmm. during those, those ups and downs, uh, you know, Ferrari and past the moments, let's say. Um, main thing is, uh, a daily meditation practice. Mm, what's that look like? Um, so we were the student of, uh, transcendental meditation. So the, uh, yeah. the, the Vedic, you know, Vedic philosophy, the two, you know, 20 minutes twice a day kind of thing. Um, so we're religious about that. Um, obviously we like, uh, exercise, we like cooking. Um, you know, you know, now I've found, you know, most of my peace, you know, the, the idea of staying busy and achieving that next goal is just a band aid. It's a band aid for your insecurity. And, yeah. um, so we were so good at that, you know, pre COVID-19, we were so good at staying busy and achieving that next goal. Uh, but in, in covid you know, through all this quarantine, I guess, you know, I, I fall in love with plants. I fall in love with sourdough starter things, you know, for a guy that, you know, has, uh, you know, the top medallion status on the airlines, you don't get to do. Um, mm -hmm. and so, uh, that's, that's, you know, maintained and, and, and my girlfriend is such a good kind of supporter of my crazy, you know, she, she sees me at my low point. She sees me at my high points, but I think that, I think the secret sauce is just to accept who you are and, uh, and embrace the suck. Like not every day is going to yeah. be good. Like some days, you know, are going to be sh like, uh, you know, I, I still, uh, I still cut myself, you know, I, I just, okay. yeah, I just cut myself. I think, uh, maybe like a month and a half or maybe two months ago or something. So I, you know, I, I, I'm still involved in the, in the bad patterns of behavior from yesteryear. Um, it's just actually acknowledging them and then talking about them, um, you know, when they come up, but you know, I, I, I'm forced and I'd say I suck at showing gratitude to people. Um, I'm, I'm only good at it because I've made it my life. You know, now, yeah. now I actually got to show up and do the work at my business. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been a wonderful constant reminder. Well, and I think the other thing and we, we, we were jamming a little bit about this before hitting record because there's a, a mutual connection who has been on the show as well, Mark Shapiro and, so good. and yeah, just a great guy. And, you know, there's, there's an element about him as well, who, who, he, where he focuses a lot about uh, a lot around love, 
Um, and you're obviously, you know, specifically with gratitude and the ripple effect of that. People on the other side, myself included, and I imagine everyone listening can feel the gratitude in your voice. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's the magic, in my opinion. That's that's powerful stuff, right? So it's it's almost a, a beautiful byproduct of obviously it's your work and you're trying to bring this concept and, and these conversations to many others, but you're a result of it, right? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... You know, it, you know, we, you know, I, I certainly, I certainly, you know, can't, um, can't run away from the fact that we've been incredibly privileged to have found something at a young age that not only are we good, you know, some of the best in the world at, but it also lights us up. And, um, of course we, you know, we put in the hard work to get there, um, you know, I think any time that we would have an idea to do something, we just go out and do it. And if we sucked at it, we wouldn't do it again. Um, yeah. If we're decent at it, we'd learn how to get better. Um, and that's oftentimes, sometimes the only step you need to take is that first one. So many people overanalyze what their first step's going to be that they never get to where they want. Um, but, you know, the key to success is is failing, learning from that, and moving forward. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we, we, we got, we got lucky, you know, that way of, we've always had a great support system and, you know, great individuals around us that would give us that, that hard, honest feedback. You know, they, they tell us when we're taking the shortcut and we shouldn't, um, they tell us when we're onto something and we should. And, uh, if you listen to the impact or the, the input of the people around you, you know, don't build, don't build something that you think needs to be built build something that your community actually needs and that's it. Totally. Totally. But I mean, it, you know, you need the, you need to see those signs. I mean, other than, you know, people directly telling you exactly, Hey, this is, this is what we need. There's often breadcrumbs, right. All over the place. But if our minds jammed, right. Hard to see that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's, um, you know, you, I, I think you gotta be a student of history right? Mm-hmm. Nothing that's, that's labeled as innovative or disruptive these days. Nothing is actually that new history. You know, innovation is really history repeating itself, just looking different. And if you study trends and you study human behavior in the past, you'll know where we're going. And, you know, if you, if you have an idea of how you want to impact a trend, the good news is, you don't need to feel like you're doing something completely different than how others are doing it. Just do it better. Totally. That's it. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it, just in retrospect, you can, you can see that. It's not like you invented the concept of having dinner. No, <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah. You, you, de- you definitely made the experience uh, or t- took the experience to the next level. So that's it's powerful stuff. And I imagine the, you know, there's some, I, I remember reading this somewhere, but the, you and, and the team and the company have sparked something like 400,000 plus connections. I imagine those connections and those stories and those moments are, are obviously uh, fuels to your fire as, as you navigate the ups and downs of natural entrepreneurship type scenarios. If, if you, you know, if you close your eyes and, and, and think of some of the memories you've, you've had in those experiences, what... Is there one that really comes to mind or a couple that immediately spark for you? 
Oh, shit. Um, oh, man. Or even like, or even like, you know, how you use the, uh, the Bill and Melinda example of like, you know, that was the moment. I, I imagine there's got to be some moments through those dinners where you, you kind of zoomed out 40,000 feet and like, wow, this is like, this is actually happening. You know, I, I, I think it was, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what were our core line of work, our core business, um, really the, the perfect use case is when you've got this big founder who's got a big company and he wakes up and he says, you know, I'm, I'm missing a little bit of connection. I I'm, I'm not connected to the people we serve. Chris, can you help us out with that? We say, yeah. So this one time, uh, you know, I won't give names, but, um, a, uh, a buddy of ours in early 2019, we had a chat, you know, he's raised 150 million for his company. He's got hundreds of employees. He's disrupting a, a big space, but he called me and he said, you know, I'm, I used to host dinners all the time at my apartment or just anywhere I'd travel around the world. And he travels a lot. He's in the travel space. Um, and I haven't done those in a while. Maybe we should do a dinner together. I said, all right, you know, what's the next city you're going to? He said, London. I said, when? He said, two weeks. I said, all right. He said, can you, can you look up some, some really neat, unique Airbnbs for us? I said, yeah. So I called him back the next day and I said, hey, man, um, his name's Patrick. Hey, Patrick, I found this great Airbnb, but it's a minimum three-night rental. You want to do three dinners? <laughs> and he, <laughs> and uh, he said, "Yeah, man, let's do it." So he he was going into London to speak at you know one of the industry's biggest conferences, and he was the keynote speaker. So we knew we could do three dinners worth of stuff: first night for his team, second night for his customers, and the third night just for his like really awesome friends who are also referral partners and industry thought leaders, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we sat down at what is the the largest houseboat on the river thames it's one of the oldest it's one of the oldest boats i think it's probably the oldest boat on the river it was built in 1904 commissioned as an old tax and customs house and uh for for the royal navy and it was just so neat having those three dinners with him cuz one night it was you know the teen the next night it was professional contacts the next night it was a lot of Patrick's interpersonal stories, a lot of friends from all over the world. And I think it was like, it was like 4 a.m. You know, I was still on New York time. So we were all just like always staying up all night. Um, and, and he was going and speaking and leading the team and everything. But, um, you know, I was cleaning up after dinner. It was like 4 a.m. Him and his buddies were having a good time. I'm cleaning up everything on the houseboat, getting ready for my 7 a.m. flight, getting ready to go to the airport for my 7 a.m. <laughs> flight back to America for, because it was Valentine's Day. And um, and I had to get home for Valentine's Day date. And I kind of looked, and Patrick had given me tremendous, you know, he's he's got a laser, you know, he, you know, he's he's a he's a good founder. And he gave me some laser, you know, input on the dinners and what you know, what worked so well and what didn't work so well. And I'm, I'm like, all right, we're drinking whiskey and wine on a houseboat on the river Thames in the shadow of the tower bridge. 
I'm getting paid to do this. And oh, by the way, everybody around the table is either a, a prince or a lord or a founder or that. And I'm like, this fucking rocks. And I think yeah. that that was a good, good, good moment in time. Well, it takes me right back to how you opened this conversation of, you know, fast and slow, right? I mean, I can, I, I used to work in, in the restaurant industry back in universities. I understand like it's fast paced typically, right? There's a lot of moving parts and I imagine you hosting and organizing this dinner. There's, there's a lot to be thinking about, but then there's that also that moment, right? Of just slowing down and taking 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 a look or an audit of what's actually happening like that's our that's the magic our um our favorite one of the things we talk about in our book is kind of like that you know the the day after you know kind of because because you know a, a whole part of our book is is a just getting people you know our readers in the mindset that you're going to be nervous as heck on the mm-hmm. day of your dinner, get ready for it. Get ready to not sleep. Get ready to have to call your mom. Get ready to get all this kind of support. <laughs> but then the day after, we we say in the book, you know, some some of my most favorite dinners are when we get to we get to keep the chairs and tables open. I'm, I, you know, mo- most times I'm I'm uh, I'm doing a dinner and then flying first thing out the next morning. But if we're sitting down. You know, we do a lot of dinners for celebrity and music clients in LA and in in Hollywood, and we're always posted up with Taylor's uh, uh, Taylor at the Stay, aka at the aka West Hollywood, and um, we get to post up there for a week's worth of dinners. And I get to wake up every morning and make my soft scrambled eggs that Thomas Keller taught us, and <laughs> go out to that you know go out to that big terrace. She's got a thirty thousand dollar a month apartment that she gives to us for free anytime we want to host dinners. And, uh, and we, and we go, we go out and I sit on the patio and I'm, it's like, I'm sitting at the dinner table and I hear the ghosts of last night's stories. I hear the wine, I hear the ice cream, I hear the cries, I hear all that kind of stuff. And it's such a great moment of reflection. And it's really neat that in in the next chapter that we're doing here in our next chapter, I should say, we're really making a better um, uh, strategy to capture the data and capture the stories and start to create connections after the dinners based on what came up. You know, for instance, we've been, yeah. we've been interviewing a, a new batch of interns, you know, for the last week. And, you know, there's a couple that really stand out to us that are uh, neuroscience students across the country that c- can come in and help us really create data and really create science backed you know, stuff. They want to create all these assessments and stuff that are like, like the happiness that comes from sharing gratitude. Yeah. Um, so really excited about that next chapter for us. That is exciting. I mean, cause I, I think we, we, we vibe on the same level of like, you just have to try this stuff and you immediately feel the benefits. Right. Mm-hmm. So going to this next level and I, I, you know, Headspace is doing this really well. I think in the meditation space of, um, really investing in clinical trials and when it comes to meditation and sleep and anxiety and stress and all of that stuff. Because I, I think it just opens up a whole other audience and mm-hmm. essentially leads, right, just leads to more awesome in life, which we could all use. Yeah, it, it's, um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a unique time in human history 
uh, when when now we have, I think, if we use this opportunity the right way, we'll be able to invest in research and you know it just you know just study um, you know just just study you know how companies react to when they know that there's about to be a recession. Um, you know they'll invest heavily in R and D, and they'll invest in the relationships. When times are bad and revenues down invest in your relationships, invest in your R and D. I mean, our friend Jason Gaynard in his book, who's a Toronto guy once, you know, once said in his book, you know, when all else fails in life, all you're left with is your word and your relationships. And so when times are tough, we think, and our buddy, John Rulin, founder of Giftology, he believes that that's when you should love on people the most when times are tough because that's how you you create greater lasting loyalty for years to come. Right, loyalty is cheaper than acquisition, and if you can deepen the penetration into your existing customer base now, you'll it'll be fruitful for years to come. Totally, totally. Well, and the other thing, the 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 byproduct of that, which just gratitude in general. I mean, you you can't be grateful and upset at the same time or it's nearly <laughs> impossible, right? So it's it's almost an immediate hack to help pause or uh, repurpose or reframe anything that's going on in your mind or self-narrative, which obviously we all experience, especially you know now more than ever. Hey, it's Mark. I just want to take a few seconds to first thank you for listening and offer a free one-on-one 30-minute virtual mental fitness coaching session with me. Okay, so what's the catch? It's literally three minutes of your time to provide a review of the show. They are so important. So the first three people to screenshot the review and DM me or tag behind the human on Instagram will get a message back from me to set up a time for a session. Thank you so much. And back to the show. I'm going to start wrapping up the, to respect your time, but I, I definitely want to know since you've shifted the format, given the, the current pandemic, anything has, there's, has there been anything that surprised you? in doing this, going from in-person to large-scale Zoom dinners? Just how how good it's been. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Cal Fussman, who... Um, Cal had... I won't dive too deep into a story, but it's good for flavor. Cal had one goal in life. He wanted, as a kid, to interview Muhammad Ali. And he did that at like the age of 18. <laughs> and so he's sitting there saying, shit, I've, I've achieved everything I wanted to in life. Now what do I do? So he took a couple dollars that were in the bank and he sailed off for Europe. And he lived, he traveled around Europe for 10 years living off the kindness of strangers. And he got back to America and he realized he had learned a lot about life. And so he started an, uh, a column, an interview series at Esquire called What I've Learned. And he used to travel around the world interviewing the biggest, most famous, loveliest people about their life. And he'd do multi-day interviews with big budgets and all that kind of good stuff. And when the 08 financial crisis happened, his boss looked at him and said, Cal, the uh, <laughs> the travel budgets are starting to dry up. Uh, you're going to have to do these interviews digitally. He said, I can't, I can't interview Mikhail Gorbachev over... FaceTime or, or uh, Skype or whatever it was at the time. 
This will never work. Boss said, well, you're going to have to make it work. And what Cal found out was the amount of intimacy that you can have from afar, right? You know, Mark, if we had our videos on right now, we'd be 10 inches away from each other. That's, that's pretty intimate, you know? And so it's just been so neat to have taken that skepticism that we had towards digital experiences, virtual experiences. And then now that we're, you know, now that we've done a couple dozen of these, um, we love them. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great way. You know, a lot of the clients that we've worked with, you know, if, if someone buys 15 dinners from us over the course of a year, if a company buys 10 to 15 dinners from us, A, that's costing a couple hundred K. B, it's costing you, the founder, weeks, right, days of your time. You know, if we set a strategy to visit 15 cities together over the course of the year, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of travel. That's a lot of jet fuel, right? If you got a yeah. private jet, that's a couple, maybe a million bucks in travel. I don't know. Um, and so if we can do, if we can do digital, you know, virtual dinners in three different time zones in the same day, okay, okay. Something uh, there, that's for sure. So there's something pretty interesting. You know, uh, you know, one of our clients has offices in uh, Singapore, London, Dublin, New York, San Francisco. So we're doing four different dinners in a day. So, sorry, three three different dinners, and then uh, some of the groups are coming to to two different time zone dinners. Um, two different time zones are coming to one of the dinners. Um, but we're doing three different time zones in one day. It'll be fun. Wow. No kidding. It's amazing, you know, when, when you take the zoomed out version of, I guess, pardon the, the pun on that, but of a situation, right, that we're going through. And obviously on the, at the onset, you know, it, it rocks the plans. Let, let's, let's be serious about mm -hmm. that. But then, you know, if you can reframe it or take a little bit of a different view and it doesn't have to be drastic, it's amazing what kind of opportunity and, and potential arises from that. And yeah. it's, this is a perfect example. I'm, I'm excited. Um, I'm, I'm definitely excited. We'll see how, uh, we'll see how it all goes over time. But, um, yeah. you know, the, um, we, we got it, we got a new team. Uh, we've got about three or four interns that are going to be joining us over the next couple of days. Uh, and I'm really excited to see the diversity of their outreach. You know, some people are on the research side, you know, those neuroscience uh, majors, psychology majors. Some people are on the, the, uh, you know, the customer service and, you know, admin side. And then there's some people that are on like, uh, you know, the community outreach side. Um, you know, we're going to be able to reach out to that middle America mom group in Oklahoma who, you know, God forbid they, they, they could have never afforded to bring us in or, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But now we're going to be able to serve them. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to be able to reach out to that inner city, uh, you know, that tough inner city athletic network to say, Hey, let's get, uh, you know, let's get some gangs and, and basketball students together. And, uh, let's talk about gratitude. So we're going to be able to do those kind of things now. And I'm really excited to see, you know, how, how this impacts, uh, you know, people's relationship building for, for years to come. Got a big smile on my face. I'm excited <laughs> to see that as well. That's really great work. 
you, you obviously we've got the 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 main prompt, but I definitely want to grab any type of questions, self-reflective questions that might be on your mind now or or just during big life-changing events that you gravitate towards when you're you're doing your own reflection. I I'd, I'd say, you know, I come back to something I talked about earlier is 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 this it or is this a band-aid? Right? You know, we we look at travel as a way to escape. We look at travel as a way to hide. Do you love travel or do you love the escape? Right. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I I say just your listeners to really take a fearless and ser- searching moral inventory on how you spend your time, and you know what do those activities mean to you, or what are they helping you escape, and uh, rip off the bandaid and face them right head on. And, uh, you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to come to one of our virtual dinners, they're free. We'd love to have you, um, you know, just, just, uh, email Mark and and he'll connect us or just email us, um, you know, find us on LinkedIn and we'd love to have you. I'll definitely put, yeah, I'll definitely put all the links up in the show notes for everyone. And I'd highly encourage everyone to pick up the book. It's, there's just tremendous, um, resources and great perspectives in there. Um, to just, you know, in general, bring more gratitude uh, to your world. I mean, <laughs> there's there's zero downside to this. <laughs> That's the thing I, I love about all of the work that you're doing. There's really no downside. It's all plus plus. So I want to I, I want to acknowledge you, Chris, and thank you for first going to Italy and having some of those realizations and providing that beautiful story at the beginning to open up this conversation, but more so dedicating your life and your work and surrounding yourself with just incredible humans to get this out and expand it and, um, you know, really level up, I'd say consciousness on a, on a global scale and gratitude. So thank you. Thank you, buddy. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I can't wait to, uh, can't wait for so many more people to to hear your words through your new book coming out later this year. I won't talk more about it. I might have just uh, blew the gasket <laughs> on it, but I'm really excited for it. Thank you, sir. Thank you.